Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing that we promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can feel free to just drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. Follow us at Listen and Sleep and feel free to rate us on iTunes or on SoundCloud or send us a little message. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me on this episode is a good friend, Peter Alexandropoulos. Did I say your last name right? More than more than right. Okay. That's it. It's kind of odd when you have a last name that, you know, is a bit different or ethnic and people, uh, you know, don't know how to say it or they, they, they're tentative with it or they mess it up. Do you find that you have, uh, you know, experienced that? It's, it's interesting to get a sense of who somebody is as to how they pronounce my last name. Okay. When they read it or I tell them, you kind of get an idea of, you know, whether or not they've met somebody with an, a last name like that, whether or not they know somebody who's Greek. Sure. Because usually it's uh, a matter of them having a good friend who is Greek because they're used to having a mouthful of words. Sure. Right? And uh, the Greek language specifically has sort of this weird sound to the end of words where you kind of just feel like you're out of breath, okay. especially after saying a last name such as mine. Okay which is 15 letters it, it, out of a lot of last names of that length. It's I'd say pretty easy to pronounce. It's Fair not, enough. it's not necessarily like a bunch of different vowels and consonants. Sure. Right. But sure. Was it difficult when you were a child to learn how to spell your last name? Cause it had so many letters in it. it you know, it's funny you say that actually yeah. it was, I had a really good understanding for like the alphabet and um, my last name at a very young age. I, okay. I was pretty fascinated, actually, with, like, the alphabet. Sure. Uh, a, f- a funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in public school, this weird old man would come to the schoolyard and just kind of, like, find me. And he would just basically yell the alphabet backwards at me. Oh, wow. He would, he would just come up to me in the schoolyard. And it was, like, the weirdest thing because now that I look back at it, it was, like, why was this weird old man in the schoolyard, right? But sure. he would sit, he would just yell the alphabet backwards at me. And now I, I can just like yell the alphabet backwards. Oh, really? Yeah. And I feel like that, that in itself kind of gave me a, a, a nice understanding for, you know, each individual uh, letter. Sure. Right. And I never really had an issue with letters 
or spelling because of the sheer fact that my last name is so long. Right. But uh, no, it's good. So the question that then I pose is, will you become the old man who yells letters back or the alphabet backwards to kids in, in playgrounds and schoolyards? I feel like if I if I find myself in that position, I definitely won't shy away from it, right? Fair, fair enough. I I'd love to see my I'd love to see myself be part of a story in the future, right? As being that old man, I would just yeah. I feel like he his intent was to pass on the tradition, right? In a sense, right? And maybe teach kids the alphabet in a way that they wouldn't necessarily gain. No. Let, let me ask you this: Can you write in um, in the Greek alphabet? Like yeah. How, how many letters is your last name in the greek alphabet is it still 15 um yeah oh it's it is the exact okay. same amount the the only place where you would trip up is the the x okay. sound it's it's the exact same in greek in greek the the x sound is, is, is still one letter but um in greek a lot of uh, letters that have that sort of noise like sc or right. ts are usually two different uh two different letters or one like they would take the place of both right for example ps in english is you know ps right, right? but in greek that would represent one actual letter the right psi, the psi, right right the psi sound so like so, psychology or whatnot which the etymology of that word is actually greek and that's why um in english when you see a ps it's not a natural um, letter combination in English. This is my linguistic background coming mm -hmm. to light. It's more than likely going to be of a Greek origin. So please continue. Yeah. Yeah. No. So so that's exactly it. That would be the only place where us Greeks who have very long words sure. would try to make up for any extra, you know, consonant sure. or syllable for mm -hmm. that matter. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it, the the Greek language is extremely interesting because um although i can read it to to glance over it seems e extremely foreign still sort of although it possesses a lot of the same um symbols right. as the english language still have such different uh meanings for example uh in the greek language what would be a v in the english language represents an n sounding noise sure. in the Greek. So the sure. English V is actually in Greek an N. Uh, as well the H right. in Greek is a, is actually an I sound. So if you saw an, a letter H in Greek, right. it would be literally it would sound like a Y or an I. Okay. So it's very interesting to kind of read it and just kind of plays with your brain, right? Of to course. See that knowing Greek and English, they kind of play off of each other. Sure. Sure. It's, it's, that's one of the great things about knowing a, fo a foreign language, right? It sort of puts into perspective different things and like how certain words are modified or certain sounds or letters are modified by the vowel or consonant before it and things change that are different than the language you speak in, in our case, English, um, which this podcast is being conducted in. Um, but you know, that's one, one of the interesting things about how different languages work. And one of the reasons I love languages and why I studied linguistics was because of that sort of playfulness in the language. Mm. And it's, it's really interesting because, I mean, you, you know Italian and mm. both Italian and Greek are very playful languages. Yes. They play a lot off of tone and, you know, sayings for that mm. matter. We can often replace, you know, just a natural response to something with a saying. If, if we so choose 
which um, really helps in communication. Mm-hmm. Instead of needing to uh, find an answer to something, you can just use a saying instead. Sure, sure. Let me ask you this. Um, what is your favorite Greek word? I'll tell you what my favorite Italian word is, uh, just to give you a second to think about it. Uh, my favorite Italian word is aiuole, and it means flower beds, so it's a plural for flower beds. And the reason I like the word aiuole, which is a weird word to like flower beds, is because that particular word has every vowel in it. It's spelled, it has every single vowel, so it's aiuole, a i. U-O-L-E. So the only consonant is an L. And that's why I love that word because it happens to have every single vowel in it. I hope I got it right. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of, uh, there's going to be a listener who's Italian say, well, there's actually other words that have it or actually you're incorrect here. But as I know it, flower beds in Italian has every vowel in it. And that's what I love. What is your favorite Greek word? It's, um, it's really, it's, it's funny you say that because I would say that my my favorite Greek word, word is, in fact, most likely the exact opposite of your favorite Greek word, okay. uh, Italian word. Sure. Sorry. I'm curious to find out because I love to know that about different languages, like when people speak different languages, what their favorite um, word is. Mm. So what is it? it it's, it's probably the word re or vre. So what that word basically symbolizes is sort of adding emphasis to a sentence. You would say, for example, go fetch that for me, vre. You would add that to the end of the word to say, go get that for me, you guy, or right. you. You know, it just basically means, it kind of just gives emphasis to the sentence of its importance, or it's just basically saying you need to do it. It's sort of slang in a sense. Okay. You can say the word by itself, vre, you know, come here, vre. Uh, how are you, vre? Right? You just kind of say it like, you guy, you do. Mm-hmm. You, and I love it because you can use it in any sort of context you choose. So would it be equivalent to what the Canadian A is at the end of the word? It's not actually a word that means anything, but it has a sort of symbolic or a nationalistic meaning to it that a Canadian would know when you're saying A at the end of uh, a phrase. It's sort of uh, you're asking for agreeance or you're concurring with that person or you're acknowledging what that person uh, is speaking about or you want acknowledgement. It, it, it is extreme. It, it's exactly, it has the same idea behind it. Right. A in Canada would be kind of like a, it would, you would use it in a quizzical sense. Sure. Right. Whereas in Greek, you would use the word vre right. and it's sort of like a very, um, you're trying to put something on somebody or. You're trying to, uh, de- it's sort of like a demanding word. Right. Like you're being sort of rude in a sense. Okay. But it's a word that you would use in a very jokingly manner. Right. To kind of make fun of somebody, but really kind of try to emphasize whatever you were putting in front of the word. Sure. Right. And it's, I would imagine it's something that you, you would use in an informal way with friends and with family and people that you know well. Would that be safe to say? Very, very true. Yeah. yeah. Like you could, and the cool part about this word is, uh, although you could, you, you do generally use it in a very informal manner, you could still use this word in uh, a more formal manner. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because although there's this kind of concept of, you know, 
being respectful and talking with a certain mannerism that meets whatever kind of situation you're in. Sure. This word kind of passes those boundaries where there's sort of this understanding amongst Greek people that mm. this word doesn't necessarily have to do with your respect for somebody. Okay. You're just kind of implying something by using this word. Interesting. You're trying to state something with it. You're, you're trying to say that whatever you're saying isn't just for the matter of saying it, but it actually has some meaning to it. Like you're trying to make sure that whatever you're saying is going to be listened to okay. or heard. That's really cool. So I asked you what your favorite Greek word is. I think it's only fair for me to ask you what your favorite English word is to use. Be mindful that we can't use any expletives on this particular podcast. I'll tell you what my favorite English word is, and then I'm curious to hear what your favorite English word is. My favorite word to say is ginger. And the reason I discovered why I like this particular word is because it gives your mouth a sort of neat feeling. A happy feeling, like to say ginger, your your mouth has to be in, a, gets put in a position of, I don't know, it bounces on your on your uh, teeth and your lips go in an interesting way. So I've always liked the word ginger because I think it is a fun word to say. Do you have a favorite English word? Well, before I tell you mine, it's, okay. it's funny that so far you've told me this, this Italian word mm-hmm. and uh, this English word with both our basically your favorite word solely based on the phonetic of the word sure right? and it's funny you like the word ginger because when you think about the actual meaning of the word mm-hmm. ginger in itself has a very similar feeling to the word which is also really cool which might have to do with why you like the word so much because mm-hmm. you can connect the actual thing to the word itself and it just gives this whole a very well-rounded idea of why this word means so much to you. Sure. And I mean... No, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of ginger, before we get to your favorite English word, do you know how to the best way to peel ginger? I learned this just recently. No, tell me. What would you guess it to be? Oh, wow. I have no idea. Anytime I've ever had to use ginger, I just I sure. cut it right up. I don't have to peel it. Using a spoon... To peel ginger. Yeah, I'm going to grab some ginger and I'm going to peel it. While I'm grabbing that ginger, I want you to tell us what your favorite English word is. Hmm. Okay. My favorite English word definitely has to be absolutely. I've been using the word a lot lately in, uh, you know, answering to people. Just the sheer concept of the word absolutely. The feeling of of being absolute. Sure. In itself, just gives me this real sensation of wholeheartedness. Oh, I like that. When I when I say the word, I'm not only, you know, answering yes to whatever the question, demand, request. Exactly. It could even be um, whether I agree on something or not. Yeah, just yeah, of course. question. By saying absolutely, I'm kind of giving, I'm instilling my trust in the person that this, this is my true opinion. Oh. So, I mean, by using that word, I'm, trying to be as honest as possible Fair. i won't use the word when i'm not and if i do it'll be with sheer sarcasm i see i see right? so i just i love the word and being in the restaurant industry you tend to say the word a lot right right just trying to appeal to um to customers or trying to do your best job you'll, sure. you'll say this word to give whoever you're you're speaking with like a sense of reassurance mm-hmm. in yourself so it not only reflects on them but on yourself of, 
you know, what you're trying trying to say. Right. Fair. That's a that's a really neat thing. I think there's something lovely about absolute or absolutely, uh, because you're sort of like you said, you're giving all your attention to whatever the request, demand, question is. In other words, yes, but more so than just yes. It, it sort of heightens the word yes with mm. absolutely. So I grabbed some ginger and I grabbed a spoon. And I know this is a little bit, un, you know, not orthodox, but I'm going to show you exactly how. I don't know if you can hear me peeling the, the ginger with a spoon, but it peels the skin off so nicely. And then, oh, I got some ginger in my eye, but... Uh, there you go. No kidding. Yeah. And so if you ever want to peel ginger, you peel it with a spoon and you're I'm good to go. This a shot. Yeah, you don't need to press that hard. I would I would bring the spoon towards you maybe. That's I think that's I think so interesting. Yeah. So you just use the spoon to to peel peel it almost almost the opposite of peeling a carrot with a with a carrot peel or whatever you call it it really is mm -hmm. and you know what marco mm -hmm. um this adds to the whole idea of the word ginger yeah. in my opinion because you're doing this very gingerly you sure. know you're kind of <laughs> just gliding along along the edge of the ginger there you go you're being very gentle with it mm -hmm. yet it feels extremely refreshing sure to do this right? right and it feels like in a sense you're kind of uncovering this very rough exterior of the ginger to reveal something that's almost you know exuding this weird freshness yeah. so it kind of reminds me of the word because although it's just a word on your palate it mm -hmm. kind of just you know pops out of your mouth mm -hmm. now now our, our whole area our whole microphone smells like ginger are you a fan of ginger as oh. i got you to peel it here you might not even be a fan of it oh um big time i mean especially now during the cold season yes working behind a bar uh, a lot of people ask for ginger sure. right in their teas right uh, in their coffees it's becoming very big especially working in uh, oh ginger in your coffee yeah oh uh, especially in an italian bar right okay. we, we can do uh something like a ginger syrup which is very nice because it not only adds the element of the sweetness in the ginger right but also the soothing qualities of it right? oh what a great coffee to have uh in the winter time a ginger coffee could you could one take a say a thin sliver of ginger put it in the coffee and let that sort of immerse itself into a coffee and have it like that or would it, do you think it would be too strong because you said you make a syrup correct mm, we do yeah so okay. what we would do is we would basically emulsify the ginger mix it with a little bit of sugar sure a little bit of water and mm -hmm. then turn that into a syrup i feel like it would just kind of mix with the coffee a little bit right better. right then because, a sliver of ginger yeah that makes sense yeah i feel like the whole especially when you're making like an espresso based drink mm. right to kind of put a piece of ginger in there would just create this weird bitterness. Right. This would work in like something like a tea. Right. Because fair. it's just hot water. Sure. But once you add the element of the espresso, it's just uh -huh. kind of bringing in these different components and creating like this very, something that needs to be extremely pa palatable. Because once it's just um, hot water, a lot of things can go into it, such as like a, like a melting pot, basically. Right. You can add whatever you'd like in any form. But the second you're working with milk or coffee, you kind of need to make sure that whatever you're adding to that is like very palatable. I don't know. Speaking of coffee, clearly you have a great understanding of espressos and whatnot. What makes a good espresso? So when you go to a bar and you order an espresso or an espresso-based drink, what are you looking at before that espresso actually touches your, your lips? Hmm, it's funny you say that. When I, when I do order an espresso... It's usually in a situation where I just really need the coffee. Sure. So I don't try to pay attention to the service I'm receiving. I see. When I actually 
am providing service or when I'm trying to make an espresso for somebody who needs one. Right. What I'm making sure is that they um, they're already feeling like they've received the refreshment, like they are being refreshed by the coffee before they've even had the coffee. Okay. I would do that by you know offering them some water. Sure. Making sure that everything is set up for them, you know, having a little plate, mm-hmm. providing the full Italian service. But I meant the actual coffee itself. Like, what are you looking for when you grab a coffee? Like, what 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 should one be looking for? If, like, I've never had an espresso before. I'm going to have my first espresso, and I'm ordering it. How do I tell if I'm getting a good espresso or a not-so-good espresso? Hmm, I see. I think that the first thing that you would look for is the color. Okay. Immediately, just have a look at it. The smell is always going to be there. The color is going to diminish the longer you let it sit. I see. So the first thing you look is a variation in color on the top of the coffee. Okay. If you see something that is very monochromatic, Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, it could be a very good coffee. Right. But you want, it would be nice to see that there are some extremely dark oils in there. Okay. So you'd be looking for sort of like this coffee color that mm-hmm. we would consider like a like a norm like a normal coffee color on top of an espresso. That's the crema we're talking the crema, about. Crema, exactly. Right. So you'd be looking for a nice crema, uh, and then you would be looking for some really dark sp- splotches sure. on top of that. Basically, what those signify is parts of the espresso that has, in a sense, been parts of the coffee bean rather that have been really ridden of their oils and have made their way into the actual liquid. Right. So from those, you're getting a lot of sweetness and you're getting a lot of aromatic flavors. Uh, and that's where you find the really, the tastiest part of the espresso. I see. You're not necessarily just getting, uh, the caffeine sure. and the base flavors of a coffee, but you're also getting these notes right. and you would find them in these individual little pieces of darker crema Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting to see that because when you have a look at your coffee before you even drink it you can kind of base how much of uh sweetness or bitterness you're going to get from that coffee once you've had enough when you look at the coffee and just have a look at the uh the crema itself in italian we would refer to the the dark oils as a olio scuro right which basically means dark oils right that's right right So uh, it's really interesting to see, you know, having a look at so many coffees uh, to just, you know, really take them for what they are. Sure. Not being able to taste all of them, but just to make them and have a look at them just to kind of judge them for yourself based on uh, what they are from what you see. Right. What's your what's your favorite coffee? What what do you drink when you uh, when you go out and you have a coffee? Oh, so that's a that's a fantastic question. Right. And lately I've been putting on my Instagram. When I, because I, I love a good cappuccino, and for me, a cappuccino should not be an intense amount of liquid, meaning milk. It should be proportioned really well with the milk, the coffee, and the foam. And so, oftentimes, I'll go to these espresso bars and whatnot, or, or cafes, and they'll give me like a vat of coffee to represent a cappuccino. And I'll take a photo of it, and I'll I'll put it on my my Instagram and write, "This is not a cappuccino." And then when I have a good one, I'll write, "This is a cappuccino." So I've sort of been doing this, as you know, I've had cappuccinos throughout the cities, different different countries, different places. And so for me, what I look for in a cappuccino is a great balance between espresso, milk, and foam. I don't expect the milk to be scorched. That's one of the things that I hate when they've heated the milk 
to past its point and they've scorched the milk it gives it not the sweet milk taste but rather it gives it a soury kind of spoiled taste and i can i notice that right away i don't need cinnamon i don't need chocolate on top of my cappuccino i certainly would welcome it but that's not important to me for me it's the balance and the size so i think a cappuccino should be a certain amount of uh, coffee ratio to um, milk and froth and it shouldn't be a huge it should be in in an appropriate sort of cappuccino or demitasse sort of size you know um, it's really funny you say that because anytime i've ever asked somebody what their favorite kind of coffee is Mm. whatever kind of coffee they say volume and proportion of actual espresso to milk they 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 choose it's always about the balance for them sure and i feel like no matter what the most important part is about having that certain level of balance in your coffee you can have a coffee that's extremely strong you can have a coffee that's extremely milky but when it's unbalanced you can really you can really tell and whether or not you drink coffee it's almost extremely visible to somebody whether or not a coffee is unbalanced agreed because it's not so much, you know, the aesthetic of the coffee or the flavor of the coffee, but it's rather kind of like the feel that you get from it. And that's one of the really cool parts about coffee or drink in general. You have this idea for, is it balanced? Right. And these are topics that come up in coffee making cocktails. Oh, in particular. And I think Nitty and I talked about it when we did the Negroni episode. We did a whole episode of Negronis. And the Negroni for me is one of my favorite cocktails. And it's a very simple cocktail in that it's equal portions of three alcohols. But it is the cocktail that so many people mess up. And you can, I think you can tell the quality of a bartender based on how they make the Negroni. Because I love Negronis when they're done well. But when they're not done well, it's like a slap in the face is how I describe it. Yeah, I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. And it's because a lot of people, mm-hmm. and this, this goes back to coffee as well as cocktails, sure. Negroni in specific, kind of look past the idea of the ingredients involved. And balance, like you were saying before. Of course. Yeah. And when I say balance, I'm not only referring to the actual liquids Right. I'm sure. not referring to the coffee and milk. Uh, I'm not referring to the the three ingredients of a Negroni. Right. I'm referring to the actual process in which it's made. This could be, you know, for example, the ice in the Negroni. Okay. Because this has, especially with the Negroni, so much to do with the cocktail itself. Sure. You know, how cold is it? Right. How 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 long has the ice been sitting in the glass? Right? What kind of ice are you using? This all relates back to the, the balance. Right. Because you need to really make sure that you're balancing every single part. You can't skip you can't skip out on one part of mm-hmm. making the coffee. Right? Steaming the milk. How you're how are you putting the milk into the glass? Because right. this has a lot to do with the cappuccino. It's not just the espresso and the milk. Sure. It's how the how the milk is going into the espresso yeah. to make sure that it's maintaining its robustness even after it's completed. It's almost as if with a cappuccino, I find, the espresso still has all of its flavor and character, even after you put milk into it, mm-hmm. which with a lot of other coffees is not the case. Well, there you go. Well, Peter, I think I've discovered a new favorite word, and that's balance. But I'm going to pronounce it balance. 
Anyways, I want to thank you for being a part of this episode where we talked about ginger and languages and words, our favorite words. What's your favorite cocktail before we go? Manhattan. All the way. Perfect. Classic. Perfect. Peter, thank you so much for being part of this episode. Thank you, Marco. As always, The Insomnia Project is produced by Drumcast Productions, and this episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada. Thank you for listening.